Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Royal Strong and True Podcast. We are super excited to be with you on this beautiful game week. We have a BYU football game to look back at. We're going to be recapping the BYU-USF game and the entirety of the week one college football. Now, before we get into the episode, make sure you're following us on Instagram and Twitter at Loyal2RoyalPod, where you'll find a lot of fun and interactive content. It's a lot more fun for us and for you guys when there is that interaction. It was a great week last week. Let's keep that going. Let's keep that momentum going for the next week. Make sure you're checking out our website, royalstrongandtrue.com, where you'll find a lot of other fun content that we're working really hard on. Without further ado, let's get to it. Let's boo. Go Tigers. But that field judge on the far side is in their pocket, man. Go over here. Yes, Let's back this ruler. Yeah! <laughs> Let's go wild, Welcome back, everybody! Welcome! Jeez, that was the most energetic start we've had in quite some time. Yes. Lots of energy because the week one of college football is almost over. It's over when you're listening to this. Yeah, it comes in still playing Georgia Tech at the moment while we're recording this. But BYU's week one is over. Yes! And if that doesn't breathe energy into your soul, I don't know what does. If you don't feel like out of your mind crazy excited right now about the football season, you might not have a soul. Uh, you definitely don't have a soul. Yep. Confirmed. Yep. If you watched football this weekend and still think the NFL is better than college football, psycho. In the words of Jared's wife, suck it. The NFL can suck it. (laughs) Because college football was the main attraction and BYU was amazing. They were, they had an emphatic performance. I'll leave it at that. Emphatic. In their week one game. We will start there. We're just going to get right into it. Um, BYU-USF. I got a little story if that's cool. Of course. Uh, It's it's story time. Everybody gather around, pull up a chair. I got my chair. Got the campfire going. Kick back. Got a weenie over the grill. Nice. Hopefully not your own. Uh, (laughs) No. No. (laughs) It's a jalapeno cheddar bra, actually. Oh. Those are the best. Mm. Okay. All right. Anyway. So, story time. Uh, I interned with Greg Rubel. He's an awesome guy. Great guy. Uh, the internship is really fun. It's a BYU radio sports broadcasting internship, so we do stuff like that. And uh, he takes one broadcast intern to each away game, and I had been selected to go to Tampa, Florida on the USF trip. So, Thursday comes. My flight is scheduled to leave at like, I can't remember. It was like 2 o'clock or something. Um, and then I get a notification saying that it had been delayed because of weather in Dallas. So I'm like, oh, shoot. I text the engineer I'm traveling with. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm getting it figured out. Then he texts me back, head to the airport ASAP. We're getting on a plane soon. So I, like, run out of work. I throw my stuff together. Kinley drops me off at the airport. The Delta pilots are, like, ready to strike. I'm not be. I'm not. I'm not kidding you. They are ready to strike. They're all in a line, like, standing at attention with all these signs about, like, pushing for better pay and like we're gonna strike if you don't do something so i'm like oh this can't be good so i roll up 
I get there, I get the flight information, I get checked in, I'm ready to go. I'm waiting at the gate. Um, I meet the engineer guy, great guy, name's Mike Wimmer. Shout out to him, he's really cool. He's a very, very nice human being. He's very nice. Like he is a Southern hospitalitist living in Utah. Okay. You know, very nice guy. All right. Um, anyway, so we get on the plane. We go to Dallas. Uh, I was like in and out of sleep uh, the whole time. Um, I fell asleep listening to a podcast about sports because it was boring. Not like this one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this podcast will keep you up at night. <laughs> yes. So I'm asleep. Apparently the plane circled for like 30 minutes above Dallas waiting to land because of the weather. But we finally land. We get off. Our connecting flight to Tampa was canceled. All other flights that day out of Dallas, canceled. Then we looked at other cities around Dallas. We're like, what if we drive to Houston and fly there to Tampa? Booked. No flights to Tampa or Orlando from any surrounding airports. And that's like a six to eight hour drive from Dallas. From Dallas to Houston. Houston. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we're looking at like New Orleans, bro, which is like another six hours. Nothing, because it's Labor Day weekend on a Friday, right? Yeah. Everybody's flying, all booked out. And Mike's the engineer. He's like, dude, I need to be there, you know? So we rent a car and start driving. From Dallas. From Dallas. Okay? To Tampa. To Tampa. So, because Dal- uh, we were in Dallas. They canceled all the flights. All- everything else postponed. Mike's like, how else are we going to get there? The weather's pretty bad. So we left. It's over a thousand miles. It crosses five states, and it's about a seventeen and a half hour drive. Okay, we start driving. Comes the middle of the night. We tell the travel agent just keep looking for flights in other cities that we're gonna pass. You know, like Mobile, Alabama, Mobile. I don't know. Uh-huh. Um, Jackson, Mississippi. You know, stuff like that. Nothing. So we keep driving. Pouring rain. It's a torrential downpour. And if anybody's been to the south, you know. I didn't really know how bad the rainstorms were. It's like driving through a freaking waterfall. It's insane. So we get there. We're on a bridge. And we almost get run off the bridge by a freaking semi-truck that's, like, coming into our lane while we're in its blind spot. And it gets almost all the way over. And the engineer is, like, slamming on the brakes, honking. They're, like, trying to get out. We almost died, dude. I swear. It was so scary. That sounds fun. So after that, we get on the phone to travel agent. We're like, bro, you need to figure something out. But we kept driving. 3 a.m., we pull into Hattiesburg, Mississippi, home of the Southern Southern Miss Eagles. We sleep like three or four hours there, then get in the car the next morning and drive the remaining like 12 hours to Tampa. Oh, baby. It was wild. (laughs) So we got there. Uh... We were supposed to get there Thursday night at like 9 o'clock. We got there Friday night at like 9 o'clock. Oh my goodness. That's a full day. And we were supposed to be there Friday to set up the broadcast. Yeah. So BYU had to fly out another engineer on a red eye. (laughs) Didn't even get to go home after his day from work. He was working the soccer game. Just had to go straight to the airport with no pack bags. Just the clothes on his back. Flew to Tampa on the red eye that Greg was on because the problem was Dallas. It wasn't Tampa. Yeah. So he flies. I promise the story's over soon, but it was crazy. So we get there. They set everything up. We get there 9 a.m. the day of the game. The game isn't supposed to start till 4. 
like we had to redo everything basically because that like the stuff hadn't been set up right because everybody's just scrambling. So we had to scramble just to get it right by the time Greg comes on. Greg starts his pregame, right, which is two hours. It gets to five minutes before kickoff and then the rain delay. Yeah. And then we had to wait all that time. We were supposed to get back at night in Tampa, be able to go to a really nice dinner, you know, and like end the trip well. But we got back at like 2 a.m. Eastern time and had to get up at 4 o'clock to catch our flight back to Provo, back to Salt Lake on Sunday. Now, if that ain't a crazy story, <laughs> if that ain't some hobschmockery, then I don't know what is. It was absolutely wild. It Like, like I... Uh, we coined it the trip from hell. The is trip what, from hell? Yep, that's what we coined it. Uh, as many weather delays as possible. Uh, but it was great. It was really cool. College football is intense, guys. I'll tell you that. It resulted, though, in a BYUW. Yes, it did. Shall we get to that? Let's get to that. Let's recap a little bit of the game. As you guys know, it went very well. BYU scored 50 points. We actually put up a 50-burger. 50-burger! We covered the spread. Remember... Good teams win, great teams cover. Yep. So BYU, as of now, is a great team. Elite team. Elite. Because we basically doubled the spread. So, let's talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly as we watch this game. I guess I'll start out with the good. Okay. Okay. For me, the good in this game was the distribution of the ball. Ooh, okay. It was incredible. Of course, you know, the game started out great with Puka Nakua running for that 75-yard touchdown. That Electric. That on my feet, screaming in my home. <laughs> it was just absolutely incredible watching Jaron Hall throw the ball to 12 different receivers. Wow. He completed a pass to 12 different individuals, which is absolutely insane. And that that's, is not something you see very frequently. And it's very good to know that that is good enough to score 50 points because Puka left the game early with an injury. Uh, he's doing fine. He should be able to play on Baylor is what they were saying in the post game. Uh, and Gunner was also not available for this game. So your top two offensive weapons are out and wide receiver by committee, quite literally worked well enough to score 50 points. That's very, oh, yeah. that's very good. Isaac Reck was back and he was playing very well. A quick little nugget on this one, a preview nugget. On the drive that Dallin Holker scored his touchdown to put BYU up 35-0. Okay. It was eight plays. On that, Jaron Hall... Five straight plays completed passes to five different wide receivers. Holy cow. Until Dallin Holker caught the last one and brought it in for six. <laughs> so that is absolutely crazy. And not only just Jaron Hall, we also had an incredible day on the ground. A total of 312 rushing yards. What? 135 from Christopher Brooks. 76 from Puka on that, you know, one big one. <laughs> 55 from Lopini Katoa. Wow. And that's 55 on 10 carries from Lupina Katoa. 5.5 yard average, which is incredible. That's great. So just the distribution of the ball wasn't overall. It wasn't just good. It was great. That's that's amazing. And honestly, like to lump it together, I think the offense itself was so good oh, yeah. in this game. Especially the first half. Especially the first half. When they were trying. Right. Uh, Elisa, Tuyagi, and A-Rod both admitted on Coordinator's Corner on Monday um, they were talking with Greg, and they said, yeah, we kind of dialed it back in the second half. Which, let's be honest, um, I'll get to this a little bit later with Kalani's philosophy. Winning a game is winning a game. A dub's mm -hmm. a dub, yep. right? You At can't argue with a dub. Uh, anyway, the good, definitely the offense distribution of the ball in both passing and running, like Justin said. For me, the bad, three things. Okay. One, the weather. Mm -hmm. Yep. 
Indisputable. Yep. Two and a half hour delay. Indubitably so. Indubitably. I like that. Indubitably. That's great. Two and a half hour delay. Not good. I no. I don't I, I think we can all agree, correct? Not ideal. We have not in history handled weather delays well. The weather delay against Utah in twenty nineteen, terrible. That was awful. Yep. But we handled this one incredibly. Yep. And uh, I'll take it. I'll take it any day. But uh, if I had the chance not to take it, I would not take it. Georgia Tech's not doing so hot. Yeah. Um, anyway, secondly, bad. Bad. USF as an organization. Oh. Right now. Do tell. They're in a bad spot. I love their coach. I think if it's they gone. give him time, he can build something. Yeah. It's right? only his third year there. It's only fourth. his third, fourth? Or second? No, third. it's his third. It's third? his third year. Okay. Yeah. Third year, right? Culture takes time. He needs to get his own guys in there. So I'm not casting this on him. I'm just saying they look bad today. They, they look did. bad. They did look pretty bad. And what was BYU during, doing during the two and a half hours? They were watching football. I'll, I will give that to you 100 times out of 100. Yep. Uh, secondly, they were talking about the game plan. They uh-huh. were talking about the game. They are getting themselves focused. What did USF do during the break? They brought in a DJ and had a freaking rave in their – which honestly, <laughs> I get it. You're trying to keep the energy up. Right. You're trying to keep guys pumped. But these guys are also expelling it. Uh, exactly their energy they're using their energy so that first snap when Puka Nakua gets the handoff he is at 100% where maybe your USF guys you know they didn't use a ton of energy maybe they're at 98% right. but that 2% difference can be all the difference when there's a speed and talent gap right right exactly and like Jeff Scott said in the post game in order to win that game USF would have needed to compete 100% of their potential right mm-hmm. they would have needed to play to their potential 100% and just losing that little bit of focus, that little bit of energy in the locker room might have contributed to how bad the game was. Oh, yeah, and we completely deflated them. First <laughs> first game or sorry, first play, seventy five yard touchdown. Totally. Then a three yard three and out for them. Yep. Then another touchdown for us. And then a pick six. Just completely <laughs> took the energy out of the USF sideline. Within five minutes it was twenty one to zero and the game was over. Yeah, that was bad. Yep. Uh lastly, on BYU's part, the bad. D-line and QB pressure. Now, mm. we did not try to bring as much pressure no, we as we wanted to. No, we the entire day. Basically, yeah. We did only have two TFLs and one sack. Sack came from Jacob Boren. <laughs> Don't ask. The safety. <laughs> anyway, the D-line I was not super impressed with. Yes, we only gave up 100 yards rushing. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Mm-hmm. Um, and we didn't sack the quarterback a lot. But we didn't need to, no. right? On most of their runs, they were like one to five yards, which obviously you don't want to be up in the five-yard range. They average four yards a carry. That's not great. But you have to look at it and say, hey, they only ran for 100 yards. That's good. But in the context of the game, that was probably the worst aspect of it from that standpoint. As I said, Jacob Born is a safety. Shall we not forget? Safety alert, safety alert, safety alert. BYU recorded a safety to no credit of BYU's own. <laughs> USF just couldn't snap a ball to a punter. Hey, we'll take it. We'll take it. Uh, now, uh, I, th- I don't know where else to put this, so I'm just going to throw it in right here. Do it. Jaron Hall's interception. Okay? Mm. I don't know what it looked like on TV, but from the booth it looked absolutely boneheaded and idiotic. Like, it was a brain fart moment. Let me tell you this. Okay. Like, from a quarterback's perspective. Because okay. I, I play quarterback in high school. 
I was not a good quarterback. Please do not look up my stats and bring them up and tweet them at me or DM them on Instagram. Please Everybody do not look at Justin. Stats. Please do not. I'm begging you. Look up my stats. Look up my rushing stats, not my throwing stats. Anyway, he dropped back and he saw a wide open wide receiver. He did not see that there was – it was a two-deep safety, but there was also like a cover four guy that was out to the side that was coming up the sideline. Mm-hmm. And he saw him, and he saw the other he saw the other safety on the side of the field. The receiver he threw it to was wide open at the time. It was just an easy rotation that, right. that could have been made. And A-Rod actually took credit for Jaron Hall's interception, saying that he called that play too close to the boundary. Chase Roberts, who was kind of more wide open in the end zone, I think he looked wide open because the guy that was guarding him right. rotated over when he saw Jaron Hall's eyes. He wasn't open the entire time. But Chase Roberts was standing in the back corner of the end zone, way too close to Keanu Hill, and put Jaron Hall in a position where a ball thrown to any of those two receivers, the other defender would have been able to close in on that ball. So it's not complete. Jaron Hall shouldn't have made that throw. He should right. have recognized right. that. Right. But it wasn't 100% on Jaron. Right. And that's. Like like what A-Rod said, right? It's a spacing issue. Yeah. If if you're running that play even 10 yards deeper, then Chase Roberts is drawing that guy that picked the ball off with him. Oh, yeah. And they called it on the right boundary. They, they were on the right hash mark. Right. So if you're even in the middle of the field or toward the left boundary right. and running that to the right side, then you're fine. Even He's if not you are make... pretty close to the end zone. Yeah. It's just a matter of keeping that spacing. Spacing that wasn't maintained, and Aaron Roderick has owned up to that mistake and has said that he will fix that. Right. And I... I Total respect for that guy. Yeah. Like he called it as it was. Um, I still think Jaron Hall probably shouldn't have thrown that ball. Absolutely, he should but, have seen it. Yeah. To wrap it all up with a bow, that play bad was bad. But Jaron Hall recognized it, and I think honestly, I'm gonna say that was. I'm glad that it happened. Ooh, because you know, spin zone, spin, spin zone. zone. Everybody, you know, <laughs> we're, we're spinning around. I think it's good because Jaron Hall was so calm, so collected. He almost looked like a robot out there. It was insane. He looked like he was just. On another plane. He looked like what people think Bryce Young looks like. Yeah. He was insane the entire time. He was just incredible. So the fact that he made a mistake and said, you know what? I am human. I do need to Mm. make these wise decisions. I think will be a benefit going into the Baylor game when they have better defenders. And we are running more complex plays where he has to do a lot more reads. I think he will now be a little bit more down to earth when he's throwing that ball. Yeah, I agree. It kind of like pulled him out of autopilot or yes, you know exactly. cruise control. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And also we got a safety on like the next possession, so yeah. he just wanted the ball back with two points. Jedi mind tricks. Jared Hall <laughs> got us two points and then got us a touchdown after that. Psycholog. He's psychological killer. Mm-hmm. Now let's talk about the ugly. Oh boy. And we're not talking about Clemson. We're talking ugly, <laughs> ugly. Not just like ugly. We're talking like ugly, ugly. like Trevor Lawrence, ugly. Exactly, like Trevor Lawrence's hair, ugly. Special teams coverage, especially on kickoff. Now, Jake Oldroyd was kicking it to the two yard line over and over again. Very consistent. Very, Very consistently. Consistent. People were wondering, does he just not have the leg to put it through the back of the end zone? That's absolutely not true. Jake Oldroyd has the ability. We've to seen hit it before. The crossbar, in- if. He is needed to. Mm-hmm. He was purposefully being told by Ed Lang- Yes! Oh my goodness. Sorry. DJ Ungalunga just got completely sacked by four people at once. I just got some... I'm not, not, <laughs> no comment. <laughs> Jake Oljoy was making that kick because Ed Lamb and Kalani Satake told him to make that kick that way. Right. Hoping to get the guys five yards behind the 25-yard line. Get him at the ten yard line, or because there are, it wasn't raining, but it was still wet conditions. The grass right. was wet, cause a fumble. 
which the analytics say is the right thing to do. Now, you can ask Lane Kiffin about the reliability of analytics, but that's what they say. What did it result in? Multiple, like, 35-plus yard returns and, and a return for a touchdown. Yeah, that's, that's pretty ugly. Our return team was not maintaining lane integrity, was not making tackles when they needed to, those open field tackles yes. that are very hard to make. You can you can rely on those analytics, but only when you have the dudes on special teams to make those tackles. And right now, against an All-American returner that USF had, BYU has proven to not have those dudes on special teams. Right. And I think that it, it's partially, like you said, it's partially schematic, mm-hmm. right? They, they do need to maintain their lane, lane integrity. Um, they do need to make tackles. I just, I, what I don't understand is I get the analytics part. I really do, like... Against any other team, yeah. But when you have an all-American kick returner that led the nation in kick returners for touchdowns last year, I just do not – oh, boy. I just do not see why you keep kicking it to him short, no. right? Especially after he consistently get to the 40, 35, 45 even yard line. There's no reason to. There's absolutely yeah. no reason to at all. The fact – when we saw him take it home for a touchdown, which totally gave USF new life. Yes, we should have just kicked it into the end zone at that point, but we still continued to kick it. And then we like even did like a weird pooch onside kick kind of thing at some yeah. point that like, I feel like everyone kind of just looked past and like didn't even recognize happened. <laughs> no, I saw that. And what the actual heck was that? <laughs> there was no need to do that at all. It just gave them incredible field position, which I guess like maybe you're trying to catch a team off guard. Sure. Right. The ball goes up, so the front liners think, okay, the ball's going up, and they run their 20 yards back. Right. You can catch people off guard doing that. I've seen it happen. But in this situation, why? It's just just why? It's just even less faith in the special teams. But I do think that they will tweak it. Kalani Satake talked to after the game, said that he was harping on, on Ed Lamb, saying he wanted Ed Lamb to keep doing that, and maybe they'll try something else against Baylor. Yeah, and, and I'm sure this game um, – Special teams in particular, we'll get to the kind of tying everything up with a bow a little bit later. But as far as that's concerned, I don't know if that's going to be the, the scheme moving forward. But it was something they wanted to try, and they tried it. Good. So, uh, yeah, we'll see what happens moving forward with the special teams, uh, especially kickoff. All right, everybody. You know what time it is. Oh, what time is it? Probably not, because this is a time that we have not yet announced on this podcast. Oh. But we're announcing it right now. It is time to... Tug some nugs. Okay. We got, you know, we've been providing nuggets for quite a while, but this is a little segment that we're going to do after the games now. We're going to tug some nugs. We're going to give you the nuggets that we think are most uh, pertinent to BYU and their success moving forward. Okay. Let's hear some. Let's, first one. Jaron Hall was 12 of 15 for 117 yards against the Blitz. That is fantastic. That is incredible. That is really good. Absolutely incredible. Against the Blitz, pressured, he maintained composure, threw the ball, 12 of 15, 80% for 117 yards. Okay. I, I like that. We, I have a Jaron Hall question for you uh, a little bit later, so hang on to that thought. I like it, though. Okay. I'm going to ask you a counter question when you ask me that question. Okay. That maybe, we'll just start that with, maybe we'll just start with your counter question because I think I know where you're going. Anyway, later. Okay, later. later. Five minutes. Okay. <laughs> uh, we already mentioned Hall completed passes to 12 different receivers. Huge clap. Uh, we also mentioned Gary Bohannon was only hurried three times on 32 dropbacks. Oh, I guess we haven't mentioned that specifically. So Gary Bohannon only pressured three times on 32 dropbacks. Which, that's not great, right? Obviously, you want to get way more than that. But I feel like with what BYU is trying to do, they weren't 
putting an emphasis on that because they didn't need to. We didn't get pressure because we weren't trying to bring pressure. Right, right. It was, it was as simple as that. Uh, Christopher Brooks, let's talk about a little bit about him. He has someone we have not mentioned yet. He should have mm. been in the good category. Yes. Uh, currently seventh in the nation in rushing yards per game at 135 yards. Granted, it's only one game. One still. game. And he also leads the nation with two runs of 40-plus yards, the only running back to do that. A little bit of context for that. Algier, last year, mm-hmm. had four runs of 40-plus yards the entire season. Wow. Brooks is halfway there, game one. Wow. That, that's impressive. I will say, Chris Brooks, beginning of the game, it looked like he just... He was timid. I, I don't know. Yeah, he looked a little bit timid. And then something happened, and he just got violent. He was so hard to bring down. Like, there's on one of those big, long runs, he was just dragging guys. Guys were bouncing off of him like jello. It was amazing. It was incredible. I, I am very excited for him. Like, like you said, he was a little bit timid. I think once it clicked, once he got his confidence... He was like, oh my gosh, I have an offensive line. I've never seen this before. Yeah. In all my years at Cal, I've never seen an offensive line once. So I think once he understood that and once he you know, got those couple of pops, he was really hard to bring down. Last two nuggets. BYU's projected win total for FPI has been updated. Okay. Moved from seven to eight and a half. One and a half game movement in FPI is astronomical. Yeah. That is like FPI completely flipped its view on BYU to going from the under to going from the over on its win total, which is absolutely one and a half game movement is unheard of after a week one. Last nugget. We had the most rushing yards in a season opener in 21 years. <laughs> 21 years since we have rushed more than 312 yards in a season opener. That's wild. I, I want to know, and obviously I haven't done the research yet. So this is terrible podcasting. Yeah. Somebody tweeted us. When was the last time BYU had 312 rushing yards? Period. Period. I saw that number and like I saw that we were running the ball really well and obviously Puka had 75 of that, right? On that one touchdown run. But still, 312 yards is absolutely brutal. Chris Brooks was averaging almost 10 and a half yards per carry. Lopini, let's shout out Lopini. He looked really good. He looked a lot tougher, a lot stronger, and he was hitting holes with fierceness, with straight up a, like aggression. So I'm very excited for a running back duo, and I can't wait until we pull out Houston Haymooley and uh, Mason Wake as fullbacks and just start bowling people down. Hey, did Haymooley play at all? He, I don't think he did. He might have been in on a couple run plays, but he didn't. He didn't touch the ball. Right. Yeah. All right. So Jared, I gotta ask you, what were you gonna say about uh, Jaron Hall? Uh, I. Uh, everyone saw my text. I said Jaron Hall looks elite. He looks elite. Long pause and come back to that. Are you reaffirming what you said over text message, that fateful moment? I am holding. Now, now, hear me out. Hear me out. Jaron Hall looks spectacular. Okay. That pass that Keanu Hill dropped was absolutely beautiful. Was a dot. It was amazing. Mm-hmm. Jaron Hall was hitting everybody. The one thing that gave me pause, because honestly, like I was, I was okay. I was ready to say like, I'm, I'm on the Jaron bus now. Two things. One, it's USF. I, if he does it against Baylor, that's another, that's another thing. And I'm, if he does the same thing against Baylor, right? Count me in coach. I, I'm on board Two, the pick in the end zone. Now, yes, I realized it was a spacing issue. It was a play calling issue. I still feel like Jaron, like, 
and maybe what you're saying is right, right? That he was on autopilot. He knew the reads. He knew what the defense was going to do in a different situation, right? I still think you probably should double check that before you throw that. Yeah, for sure. So, like, that's my only hang up, but I am very excited for Jaron Hall. I'm very close to becoming a Jaron Hall Paul. Not You're a Saul. But I'm, I'm, I'm not a Saul anymore. You're going through the missionary lessons. Yeah, I'm like, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, if we're going like old school lessons, I'm probably on like lesson three, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so you, you've accepted a baptismal invitation. Yep. You've learned about repentance. Oh, sorry, sorry. You've learned about, I, you know, the restoration. Yeah. I, I'd say I'm in like lesson four, right? I'm like, I'm like there. I know you're, the basics. You're learning the commandments. They're, they're talking yes. to you about like tithing and the law of chastity. Exactly. That's, that's the stage I'm in right now. Uh. Right. Because I've learned about the plan of salvation. I've learned about the gospel. I've learned about the restoration, right? And I get it. I get it. I see it all. I understand it all. But now it's time for the hard questions, right? Yeah. Can I devote 10% of my income to the Lord? Can I go without beer and coffee and tobacco, Right. Can I live the law of chastity? These are the kinds of questions I'm asking myself as I watch Jaron Hall play football. <laughs> Those are some incredible questions. <laughs> so after all of that, what does all of this mean for BYU moving forward? I have a couple of thoughts. My first one, I think we know we're good. Yeah. I just don't think we know where the ceiling is. Okay. I think we know... That we are a team to be reckoned with, but dude, what the nuts? How is it zero zero after the first quarter? Clemson's offense still sucks. <laughs> Georgia Tech has stopped them on downs and has forced a fumble. <laughs> and Clemson is number four. Yep, they're number four in the country. They're gonna win tonight by a field goal. They're gonna win like three zero, and they're gonna move up to number three. And can we all remember Georgia Tech won how many games last year? Uh, two, if I'm not mistaken, two and ten. All right. Yeah, uh, research right now. Uh, bah, bah, bah. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Jared searching stats in the middle of the podcast. They went three and nine. Last Dang it, three and nine. I was off by one. But they beat uh, Kennesaw State. FCS doesn't count. They beat North Carolina. Sam Howell doesn't count. And they beat Duke. So Duke obviously another FCS. So they basically won zero games last yeah. year. And yet Clemson can't figure out how to score on this team. Clemson's defense is elite though. Just blew up Georgia Tech on a jet sweep. Like it was like. It was disgusting. Okay, uh, back to the... What are we talking about? Oh, we're talking what about... What does all of this mean for BYU season moving forward? That's right. We are good, but I don't know where the ceiling is. Okay. We looked electric. We looked... The no huddle was absolutely just killer. Incredible. It was deadly, as we saw on that three-play drive that went like 70 yards for a touchdown. Uh, I just don't know where the ceiling is. That's my first thought. What, 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 what's yours? What's, what's your first thought? I love seeing the tempo. I hope that we keep the tempo moving forward. Mm -hmm. Tempo is kind of hard for a defense always. And I think as long as we are playing tempo, we will play more rush three drop eight, which will be much to the chagrin of the fans. But I do think that it will be effective offensively. I do think that this BYU team is as advertised. Mm. Everybody is saying, oh, it's going to be a close game with USF. You know, expect it to be. BYU said, no, we are on a different tier. Also, shout out to them. Also, I want to address lots of people, my own father included, have said that they were not impressed by the offensive line's performance. Okay. Okay. Let me counter that point. Okay. Again, 312 rushing yards. <laughs> most rushing yards we've had in 21 years. Yep. Jaron Hall was protected 
four, three, four, five seconds on almost every single drop back. His one sack, he literally was seeing how long he could stay yeah. in the pocket. No, for he it. stood in the pocket. He was for literally like, I wonder seconds. how long it'll take for them to sack me. Yeah, it was it was incredible. But our offensive line, while they were not blowing guys five yards back, mm-hmm. they were opening holes. Mm. Some of the holes when you watch the replays, that Katoa, that Brooks, that McChesney, that you know, all these guys ran through. They were a mile wide. Mm. They did not have to contort their bodies to get through the hole. They could go through it well. I also want to give a quick shout-out to all of our wide receivers and tight ends Ooh. who did an incredible job blocking. Puka's touchdown is owed to the blocking of the wide receivers down the field. So I think our offensive line did an okay job. They didn't. Were they world beaters? No. We weren't moving the line of scrimmage. But I do think that they were holding back. There was some very vanilla offensive play calling that is very hard to get excited about if you're an offensive lineman. Once they're calling more traps, more things where the offensive linemen are actually doing things that they enjoy doing, <laughs> pulling, hitting, cutting, you know, doing all these things, our offensive line will show much improvement. And I was, I was going to add as well, with that, oh crap, that's going to be the game right there. That's the whole reason... Clemson just happened. They blocked the punt. Oh my gosh. If Clemson wins, it's going to be 7-0 and that's why. Yep. That their offense Dude, watch them kick a field goal here. No, they're First and goal, goal from the 7, they're kicking a field goal. For sure. They're going to kick a field goal. Okay. Anyway, back to the point. Um <laughs> we are so distracted. <laughs> it's college football, baby. It's what college do, football. What, what do you expect? Do? Yeah, of course. What do you expect? Um All right. Here's what I have to say about that. BYU did not play a style of football like a Big 10 school on Saturday. They did not do the classic lineup, we're stronger than you, we're just going to push you down the field. BYU played a scheme where it was all about creating holes, creating lanes to run in, and the offensive line did absolutely that. Like you said, there were a couple of runs where Lopini Katoa could have like driven a semi-truck through oh, yeah. the hole. It, it was so big. And that a lot of in part, that is due in part to the offensive line and also the tight ends and wide receivers. Um, dude, if Georgia Tech could, could tackle, man. Um, I think the scheme, like you said, was very vanilla. Will we see some bully ball down the stretch when we need to? That's something that yeah. needs to be seen. But I, I do agree the offensive line opened holes that were good enough for 312 yards of rushing. All right. Now let's move on to a recap of the entire— uh, Oh, sorry. I have sorry. one more thought. I have oh, one more thought. Go, go for it. Go for it. Go. A lot of people were upset. Because we let our foot off the gas. And I think it was pretty obvious in the second half, we were not trying to score 28 points a quarter. Now, I have something to say about Kalani's philosophy. Okay. Whether I like it or not, that's another Let's That's another thing. But Kalani's philosophy is to win games. Yeah. His goal is to go undefeated. Mm-hmm. That is a fantastic goal. I have no arguments with that. None at all. That being said, in this era of college football, style points are very important. They do matter. They matter to voters. They matter to voters. They matter exactly. They matter. They matter to the CFP board, stuff like that. Yes, they do. But Kalani's brand of football win games and have sportsmanship. Yeah. Now, sportsmanship, eh, there can be arguments made against it. However, <laughs> this is Kalani Chicago we're talking about. He is the yeah. nicest person Love in the human learn. being. Love and learn. Yep. So. His philosophy is going to be... They just stop him on third and goal? They just stopped him on third and goal. Dude, Unga, you you Unga, go for it though, right? Unga Lunga slipped in the backfield. Okay, I changed my mind. This game is going to end up 2-0 for Clemson. They're going to go for it though. They're going to go for it. 
not get it and then get Georgia Tech for safety. Um, Sorry, go ahead. Anyway, Kalani's philosophy. Kalani's philosophy is to win a game. He's not going to score 70 when he doesn't need to. No. As soon as we hit halftime 38-7, to you could tell the game was over, right? There's no chance USF's winning the game, so Kalani dialed it back. The defense forced, even though USF did drive the field that one time, the defense forced them to take like seven minutes off the clock, which, do the math. Even if we just gave them the ball every time, if you go seven minutes, you're not going to win the game. Yep. So whether you like it or not, Kalani's philosophy is to win games, period. I do not have an argument with that. I, Like I said, my style of football is very different. NCAA scores for me are usually like 114 to 54, right? No defense, all offense, never take your foot off the gas. Kalani's philosophy is to win games, and I will not argue with that. No matter how he does it, if we're actually winning, I got no problem. Fair enough. I mean – BYU doesn't have any crazy boosters to appease like other schools do. True. The reason Michigan schedules cupcakes at home at the beginning of every year is so that they can blow them out, put on this offensive display. The boosters are happy. They kind of stop watching, to be honest. They just, you know, they say, okay, yeah, Michigan's in a good spot. BYU doesn't really have that, okay? Because, like, we're funded, we're self funded. We do have some boosters out there, but they're not crazy football, like, and oil tycoons. Yes, like, their effect is more on the honor code. And no, never mind, not going to get into that. They do not affect the football field. Let's move on before we get into <laughs> some major conspiracies there. <laughs> uh, let's move into college football. Like you said, college football week one happened. It happened. And you know what that means. Cue the music, baby. Did one of my brothers just punch my other brother behind the house? What? Because it looks like it's time for a good old-fashioned backyard brawl. Let's go! West Virginia and Pitt played for the first time in over a decade. The game was more back and forth than a tennis match. Back and forth, back and forth, until it came down to the final try. The West Virginia wide receiver had his mind on those country brawls. <laughs> As he looked at the ball coming right at him and hit his hands, as if it were a tub of... I can't believe it's not butter! No! His butter fingers, the ball went over. Pitt wins the game off of a pit six. 38 to 31. Oh, we need more of that boom. <clears throat> Next up, on to Friday. In Northfolk, Virginia. Virginia? The monarch butterflies of ye olde dominion. Pick off, pickled off, excuse me, oh, the Virginia Technology Hokey Pokies four times and returned a phenomenal 54 yards for a tuddly. Oh my. Brent Pry got Brent Fry. As his team committed 14 penalties to boot, literally gift wrapping the game to old dude you who couldn't refuse such an offer. New Kingdom wins 20 to 17. Oregon took a trip to a site that's just about as neutral as a developing country when the U.S. finds out it has oil reserves. Not neutral at all, boom, let me tell you that. Bo Nix had his name legally changed to Bo Pitt, as Stequavion Bennett looks like a Heisman candidate. Oregon successfully proved that money cannot buy happiness as they wallowed home in their Nike flip-flops after a 49-3 shellacking. Okay, no Georgia fans here. Oregon Annapolis... Kenneth Neumatulolo 
is in hotter water than Scott Frost! I don't know if that's possible. Uh, okay, yep. Mobby, the penalty flag, yellow card for here. Uh, the blue hens of Deliware floated right into the Usnavi base and took it out like a German U-boat. Oh, boom. That's for the booms, you know what I mean. Obviously, hens aren't known for their football prowess, but they gathered the Navy fumbles like their own chicks and waltzed out of Naptown with a huge 14 to 7 dump. There was a firestorm brewing in the Appalachian Mountains as the mountaineers sought to kick the tar from their heels. Ooh! It looked like Mac had browned his pants in the first <laughs> half. But the Unks fought back. After a 40 point performance in the fourth quarter, App State started counting. One, three, four, five. One, three, four, five. Noticeably missing there, Boom? The number two. Ooh. Two failed two point conversions later. Ooh. The Tar Heels escaped with a 63, the 61. What a shame, Boom. What a shame. Okay. Uh, I have an apology to make to uh, just talking TTMPS, whatever the frick your name is on Twitter. I have something to say to you. Kicker! Pirate Nathan showed up like the Black Pearl that first time in Pipes of the Caribbean. Ready for blood. North Carolina Stotte stabbed Barbosa multiple times in the red zone, but to no avail, as the cursed skeleton pirates came up clutch on the goal line. But in the end, Nutcart Stotte reversed the pirates' curse and shot ECU's kicker with their last bullet. The Wolfpack survived 21 to 20. The best one win team in the nation showed up like Bilbo Baggins wanted to spoil Snapdragon Stadium's debut in sunny San Diego, California. The Aztecs, <clears throat> under there, used their ancient powers to make Arizona block its own punt. But even that wasn't enough to keep Jed from fishing. Arizona reels in an impressive victory over San Diego City College, 38 to 20. Now, we go to Harrison Roundyburg, where we say, Welcome to the FBI! <laughs> James Madison's red in the face from his big boy football debut. The middle of nowhere state Pegasus riding lance throwers got out-duked by the new, the now true dukies of the football old subdivision. Sorry, Daniel. Let's clap it up for PFT and the James Madison Dukes who got the dub 44 to 7. Welcome. We head on down to the black hole in the middle of the United States, otherwise known as Ohio. Oh, that one hurts. Where some drunk Irishman got into a fight with a bunch of nut-like seeds. Ooh, Ohio State's high-powered offense must have been forgotten in the locker room as they only managed to snag 21 gold touchdown coins out of Notre Dame's pot of gold. Yikes. Marcus Freeman in his first start at Notre Dame proved one thing for sure. The Fighting Irish are just as mediocre as always. <laughs> the AP poll deserves the nation an apology after ranking that team number five. Ohio State wins 21 to 10. You know what, Boom? I'll take it. Uh, in Tuscan Raider Lusa. The cows. Somebody check on Jared's mental state. <laughs> the cows of Utah State held the Alabama Crimson Tide to a field goal on the first drive of the game. Yes. You heard me correctly. Aggie stunned the nation. In a 55 minute drumming. All right, let's move. We head down to the state known by many of those born outside of the United States as our Kansas. The Cincinnati Bearcats, whatever the heck that is, I don't know that. Came in trying to.
to prove that they were not lost in the sauce. Gardner, that is. Ooh. This year, KJ, Jeff is her son, ran <laughs> all over Cincinnati like it was a track meet as he schmaneagerbockered the opposition. Arkansas takes down the Bearcats 31 to 24. See, now that is a mascot matchup I want to see. A Razorback and a Bearcat. Oh my goodness. Who knows where those are? Not I. Now, it's time for some G5 love. Roadrunners! Played host to the Wrong and Red Cougars. However, Clayton, no, not the Clayton from Tarzan because his skeleton is currently still hanging from the vines of the Congo. Oh my. Had 206 yards and three tootlies in the shootout. Wait, are we gonna get canceled for that one? Uh, we're not affiliated with BYU, so I think we're good. Okay, I just said Aztecs. Anyway, the Houston fan who stole the booth in the Alamo Dome was not disappointed, even though he got kicked out and followed by a policeman, as the COOGs came up with came up clutcher than a European handbag. That's clutch boy. Winning 37 to 35 in triple overtime. We head to the Pacific Northwest, where the Boise, now a state, City Community College, traveled to take on the Beaver. Mm. Oregon State taught the rest of the nation how to sell out a stadium. Take notes. Reduce its capacity by 20,000. Oh! <laughs> Hank Bachmeyer looked more like a chicken bock, bock, bocking all the way down the field until he got benched after two straight interceptions. <laughs> Oregon State said, I don't give a damn. A, Ooh. Beaver, a beaver damn, that is. As they took down the Broncos 34 to 17. I like that one, boo. All right. Hey, Biggie. How does CFB sound on Sunday? Sounds better than the NFL. You got that right. Heck yeah, baby, after a first half that was harder to watch than the end of Togo, the game exploded in the last two minutes that included a muff punt, a goal line fumble, a 99-yard potentially game-tying touchdown drive, and a blocked extra point to win the game! Oh my goodness! Bad luck Brian Kelly has LSU back, baby! National relevance comes in more, ma more ways than one. Oh! 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 oh, oh, oh. Wins 24 to 23. Now we're going to talk a little bit about this Utah-Florida game, but we're going to do it with a song because that's the way we know how to best express our emotions here on the Royal Strong and True podcast. Okay, let's do it. Okay, okay. Florida Nights. Have you ever felt those Florida nights? Pig, pig boys losing some games. Utah out of the playoff. Florida fans chomping down on the abysmal Pac-12. Utah tears. Have you ever drunk those Utah tears? Their players were puking because the humidity was high. I apologize to the Pac-12 who thought Utah would save them. We got a little off-key there on the end, but that is how we know how to best express our emotions. Utah sucks diddly do. Yep, that was a great fastest 15 to kick off the season. They so poo-poo. They so poo-poo. All right. 
Uh, let's actually just start off with that game, shall we? Let's do it. That was the headliner of the weekend besides BYU. BYU story is always number one. Uh, obviously, yeah. Obviously. On, on this podcast, it is. Yes, yes, on, on this podcast. On every podcast, it should be. Yes, of course, obviously. And Utah losing will always be number two. Oh, yeah. To BYU. The only way it can get better than a BYU win and a Utah loss is if BYU is the reason Utah lost. That is pretty true, boom. So, let's start it off. Utah, Florida. What were your thoughts in that game? That was wild. I was trying to follow it as I was up in the press booth, uh, helping out with the internship and stuff. What even just happened? So, I had it up on my computer. I was watching the game. And to be honest, Cam Rising, you know... Utah's savior, if he would have been in versus BYU, yeah. Utah wins by a million, right? Mm. According to the Utah fan. Yep. He looked like he sucked. Cam <laughs> Rising played bad the entire game. He, he, he didn't play awful, but he did not play great. He was yeah, just right. mediocre the entire time. He did exactly what uh, Charlie Brewer did against BYU. He looked bad, did not throw like incredible passes, was getting sacked, was not playing well, and then he threw a pick into double coverage on like the three yard line. What are you doing? All you needed was a field goal to tie the game. So Cam Rogers played like an absolute buffoon. Utah's defensive line got bullied all game long by Florida. You, they could not stop the run. So honestly, I think Utah is extremely overhyped this year. I think they will end the year with three total losses. That's insane. Utah prides itself on physicality in the trenches. Now, Utah ran for 230. That's 5.9 a carry. So that's decent. A lot of those, though, are long Cam Rising scrambles. Yep. Which I will say is the one area where Cam Rising was good. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Is on a scramble. Other than that, he was throwing it in the dirt five yards over the head of his guy. You, Florida. And let's all remember Florida. Okay? A ton of guys transferred out. They went 6-7 and seven last year and have a brand new head coach. They had 283 rushing yards. 283 rushing yards. Oh my goodness. 7.3 yards a carry I, on a Utah team. That's this, not good. This reminds me of what BYU did to Utah last year. Yeah. They bullied them. And the, like you said, I, what is going on in Utah? Utah, I thought, had... What is going on in Utah? <laughs> <laughs> um, but what, what's going on with Kyle Whittingham? Has he lost his edge? Uh, is he cocky? My, I was talking to my uncle who's at the game, and he said it felt like Whittingham was kind of cocky sometimes, like just assuming that they would win every battle in the trenches, and they obviously did not. I, honestly, I have no clue what's going on. I, I will say, number four on Utah, shout out to him. Second straight year, he has puked on national television while the camera <laughs> was on him. Two straight years now that he has puked on national television. Does he do it for like for like on purpose? I, I don't know. I have no clue. The, the camera just must have like I don't, maybe he's got a mic or something. He's gonna tell the camera like, "Hey, I'm about to puke," and then it just immediately pans to him, and he just throws up through his face mask. And he threw up twice. He threw up once when he's on the field, and once on the sideline, which I, is absolutely awful. Like throwing up on your football helmet is the worst. Like you can spray it off, but like that just uh, moment of puke is sitting on your face mask uh, an inch away from your nose is just awful. Uh, uh, any other games that you'd like to recap? Uh, yes, actually a couple. Okay. Um, Let's start on Thursday with the backyard brawl. Oh, my God. Um, so I was trying to watch it on my phone. We are kind of going in and out of service a little bit in the south. Uh, I, I, I was on the drive, obviously. Yeah. But I was trying to follow it. Um, it seemed like a really good game. I couldn't watch it with the sound because I was talking to the guy next to me. Didn't want to be rude. Um, it seemed like one of the best environments we've seen in a long time from college football. Am I, am I right in assuming that? Oh, it was insane. I was, you know, you weren't watching with audio. I, w- I definitely was. I was glued <laughs> to my television watching that game because it was a beautiful game to watch. 
so loud. It set a record for the state of Pittsburgh for sporting game attendance. And they have an NFL team. That includes college. That includes everything. Wow. That game set the record for the state of Pittsburgh with over 70,000 people in attendance. That College football is king. College football is king. That game was insane. I, I was like following it, like I said. It seemed really back and forth the whole game, too. Like you said in the Fast 15, it was like a tennis match. Just boom, 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 boom. Uh, Pitt had that crazy touchdown run. Then the pick six. Oh, my gosh, the pick six. It looked wild. How was it uh, on a physicality uh, on the spectrum? Because it's a rivalry game, obviously. Lots of hate between those two programs. Did it live up to that kind of hype of like a rivalry game? Oh, yeah. There was tons, tons of personal fouls. Tons of unsportsmanlike conduct penalties. Heck yeah. It was incredible. They were really going at each other. There was fights breaking out on almost every play. Just small little like squabbles. Like scuffles. They didn't turn into anything bigger. But honestly, it was just insane. The crowd was so into it. The game was kind of, you know, West Virginia kind of dominated it at first. Then Pitt came back. Then it was back and forth, back and forth. Okay. The end of the game, though, was absolutely asinine. It was crazy. <laughs> it was insane. What happened? Basically, so West Virginia... Scores. Goes up. Pitt then drives the entirety of the field and scores, but leaves three minutes on the clock for JT Daniels and company to go and put on the game-winning score. So people are thinking that's... Oh, I said I texted way too much time. Yeah. Way okay. too much time. But then they go, they go, two plays into the drive. JT Daniels throws a perfect pass, perfect 15-yard out route to okay. a wide-open wide receiver who had stopped on a curl. Okay. Ball hit him in the hands. Oh, no. He was nobody around him. Hit him in the hands. Bounced over his hands three or four yards, straight into a DB's lap, who ran it in for a pick six and a game-winning touchdown. That gives me, like, BYU Utah vibes. I showed, I, I sent you the clip. You listened to the fan noise. Here's what I found. It was insane. Whoa. Siri, even, is freaking out about it. <laughs> I don't even know what to say other than the fact that it was in, it was crazy. It was good. We, we need to have this rivalry back every single year, I oh, think. Yeah. Right? Rivalries need to be back. Yep. You cannot split up rivalries and manufacture these dumb rivalries like, I don't know, Colorado-Utah. That bullcrap uh-huh. rivalry that has never existed that the Pac-12 keeps saying exists. It is time for realignment. If you're going to realign, sure, realign all you want. But keep the rivalry games. At least yes. the high-profile rivalry games. Yep. BYU-Utah should be played every year. Yes. BYU-Utah State can be argued, but you know we would say you know we, we would love to play it every year. But maybe uh-huh. that's, you know... If we had to choose between the two, of course, we'd play Utah every right. single year. Right. Yep. I, th- I think they should definitely be a part of it. I like eight conference games plus two rivalries, right? Uh-huh. Utah State, Boise State, Utah. You can, you know, go back and forth, whatever you want. Um, next game, Old Dominion, Virginia Tech. Oh, my gosh. Now, I was making fun of Old Dominion because they fired me. But Old Dominion beat Virginia Tech at home a couple of years ago, and they did it again on Friday night. I told you guys it was going to happen. Just, I Justin really did call it. I absolutely called it. And honestly, like, you know, me calling things did not go very well. Just to give a quick little uh, review of the picks that we did last week. Dan went 10 and 0. Shout out to him on that. Huge. Jared, hugely. if I'm not mistaken, you went 7 and 3. Okay. Right? Uh, I I don't remember. Well, I remember I went 6 and 4. You were either 8 and 2 or 7 and 3, something around that. Okay. But Dan went 10 and 0. I think that is the first time that any of us have ever gone 10 and 0. The previous record was set by Jared at 9 and 1, which was zero. also week 1. Oh, it was week yeah. 1. You're right. So yeah. th- there's something there. So shout out to that. Uh, I call that Virginia Tech just looked awful. Their head coach needs to get fired. Old Dominion, they're the real deal. 
No, so, they, they actually are the real deal. Virginia Tech just sucks. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, Virginia Tech. Uh, how about the Pitt West Virginia? I forgot to ask this question. Do you see anything happening with those two programs? Are, are either of them going to, like, uh, compete for a conference championship or anything? JT Daniels is not bad. Okay. I'll, I'll, that's all I can say. West Virginia, they won't compete for a Big 12 championship, but they will not compete for the Big 12 loser championship either. Gotcha. They will be in the middle of the pack, which is an improvement for West Virginia from last year. Yeah, okay. That's good. Uh, let's move on to Saturday morning. App State and UNC. Now, this game was insane. There were like 60 points scored in the fourth quarter, 40 by App State alone. App State had it in the bag, went for two for the kill shot, which I 100% agree with, right? Oh, yeah. You, you go for the kill shot every single time. Mm-hmm. Um, and he overthrew a wide open man in the end zone. What? Yep. Absolutely Ouch. insane. Ouch. It was the most wild sequence of events ever. UNC scores. Then Appsite goes and scores a tie of the game, but they go for two and they, like you said, wide open wide receiver missed in the end zone. Just a perfect play call wide open miss. So then Appsite goes to onside, kick the ball with like 53 seconds left. UNC recovers it. And, like, the idiot that that UNC return guy is returns it for a touchdown. Dude. They kick the extra point. Stupid decision. They are now only up by eight. App State gets the ball back. App State drives down the field and scores in 57 seconds. Just insane execution. was really good. They go for two again. Tried literally calling the same play that they had called previously. (laughs) UNC was obviously ready for it. They did not convert. Two straight two-point conversions failed for the lose on App State. There is no way App State should have lost that game. Right. But they did. So uh, here's my question for you. Are you still going for two? So looking back in hindsight, do you still go for two and the win oh, on that second last word? Yeah, absolutely. you're still doing it? Absolutely. was gassed. You have to remember, in order to get to that tie, App State scored six touchdowns in the fourth quarter. <laughs> so before that onside kick touchdown, five touchdowns in the fourth quarter. Their offense was gassed. I do not think they would have been able to compete with UNC in overtime. So yeah, you, you try to end the game then and there. Okay, I like that. I, I think I agree with you. Also, the onside kick, absolutely idiotic yeah. by the guy, right? I know it would be exciting to return it for a touchdown. You go down, you knee out the game, you control your destiny, right? Mm-hmm. But by returning for a touchdown, like you said, only up eight gives them a chance to come back. Moving on to another game that ended in an insane way. Let's talk about NC State ECU. <sighs> Kickers, man. Kickers. Kickers. They're head cases. So, ECU... Played fantastic. Yep. NC State looked like rubbish, if yep. I'm going to be honest. Yep. Looked like rubbish. Goal line twice, two different times they had the ball in like the one-yard line. Didn't get any up. points out of either of those possessions. Nope. Zero. Zip, zero, zilch. Uh-huh. And then ECU ties the game late. Misses the PAT. Yep. Mi- not blocked. Misses it. And then game-winning field goal potentially Shanks it as well. Just crazy. I feel bad for the kicker. The broadcaster at the end was like, please remember these are college kids. <laughs> you know, like, don't go, like, sending them hate and stuff. You know, it, yeah. it's crazy the amount of hate these guys get. Like, I understand, like, kind of, like, joking with them and, like, saying, like, dumb stuff. And, like, oh, you got your ankles broken. Ha, ha, ha. Like, sending stuff like that is fine. But, like, I'm going to freaking kill you. Like, that's totally not cool. Yeah, come on. But, uh, yeah, so that's kind of sad. Uh, NC State, are they living up to the hype? Uh... I want to say no, but everyone expected their offense to be this way. Everyone expected their offense to suck and their defense kind to of sluggish. Okay. So they're exactly what we expected them to be. 
Okay, but speaking of like guns and you know, sorry, not guns. Speaking of what? <laughs> uh, death threats and violence. Oh, uh, let's talk about the Oregon Georgia game that resulted in an absolute murder. Uh, that one was like TVMA. Yeah, it was. I. It wasn't like it got away late and it was kind of close. No, Georgia scored on its first seven possessions. Uh, that's all you need to know. And Bo Oregon threw a pick on his first two possessions. Oregon did not score a touchdown on any possessions. Three points. Um, to put it in perspective, Utah State played at Alabama and lost 55-0. to zero. Oregon, the number 11 team in the country, played basically at Georgia and lost 49-3. to three. What is the difference between Utah State and Oregon? Show me the difference. They will have a similarity soon. They will both have an L thanks to BYU. All right, there you have it. Uh, Bo Nix is terrible. I yep. think we said this before the season started. He goes off in random games, so watch him go off against BYU. <laughs> it's going to be eh, whatever. Uh, Georgia, I think, is a real deal. Yeah, Georgia is real. I think there's no question about whether or not they'll be able to replace those 15 guys they lost to the draft. The Quavion Bennett, baby. Uh, next up, Houston UTSA. That game was wild. I'm going to be honest here. I thought this would be a good game, but I thought Houston was going to be a lot better than they were. People are expecting Houston to be the next Cincinnati. Right. Steal the playoff bid. They struggled with the UTSA team that is re- struggling after not returning Sincere McCormick, who left for the NFL draft. That was tough to see. Houston just played terribly. UTSA dominated them in the trenches. Houston squeaked out the win, so good for them for doing that. But Houston is not what the media made them out to be. I was going to ask, is UTSA for real? Is Houston not for real? But I think you answered that. Yep. Uh, next up, Notre Dame, Ohio State. This game was infuriating for someone who couldn't watch the game. I was flabbergasted. Every time I'd update my phone, I was like, this can't be right. This can't be right. I must have a bad connection. But no, it really was 10-7 at halftime for yep. Notre Dame. Uh-huh. What on earth is going on? Is off, it, do, is, should we be worried about Ohio State's offense? Let me tell you this. Okay. If I'm not mistaken, right, Ohio State only allowed 10 points or 7 points. 10 points. 10 points. Ohio State's defense played well. I mean, Notre Dame's defense. Notre Dame's offense sucks. Ohio State is notorious for playing teams close week one and week two. Ohio State just like, it takes them a little bit to warm up. I was expecting their offense to be explosive. It wasn't week one, but that means nothing with Ohio State. Week two, they could come out and absolutely blow a team out of the water, which I think they're playing an FCS team week two. Arkansas State, basically FCS. Yeah, so they're playing a low-level FBS team. Their offense will look great. Maybe that's what it'll take when we get clicking. Don't judge. The jury's not out on Ohio State yet. Give them some time. Notre Dame is mediocre, though. Okay. Uh, I was very worried watching this game. I do have to say I'm glad that we were able to win ugly. I really am. But I do worry. I, The offense was supposed to be the anchor of this team, and it ended up being the defense that was the anchor. Yep. Right? And that's something that is very foreign to Ohio State fans for the last – 10, uh, maybe not 10 years, but at least like five to eight years. Oh, yeah. Though I will say this. Last year, we played a similar game against Oregon, and we lost. Yeah. We played a very similar team, a very similar game this time, and won. Which is good. So it is an improvement at the very basic level of just wins and losses. We improved, and that's something that I can get behind. Yep. Uh, so we already talked about the Utah-Florida game. Any more notes on them? Uh. Florida, Anthony Richardson, is he the real deal? He looked really good 
against Utah. But Utah sucks, so I don't know whether he's actually good or if he was just taking advantage of a terrible Utah team. Napier's got some cojones. LSU was absolutely idiotic in passing on him. So uh, shout-out to Florida for giving Napier a chance. He had some cojones, went for it on fourth down, got it, bled out the game. Yep. Uh, last up, Florida State-LSU. That happened on Sunday. Yes. You have kind of already gone off about it in your fastest 15. How are you feeling about it? That was the definition of why college football is better than the NFL. Yep. <laughs> it was 7-3 to three at halftime. So, obviously, it was very boring. The last two minutes were absolutely insane. Absolutely just nuts-to-the-wall bonkers. If you wrote a book, you would not be able to come up with a more bizarre scenario than what actually happened. Yeah. It, in the words of Stephen Grant, it was like, hey, you 51, like MI6 bonkers. That's exactly what it was. Yep. Muffed punt. Um... By LSU, we thought Florida State had just gotten the game right. And then they get to the goal line and they pitch the ball. What are you doing pitching the ball on the goal line? I'm sorry. That is idiotic. Yep. The last thing you want to do is put the ball in the air in any way, shape, or form. Quarterback, sneak it. I don't care. There's one minute left. All you have to do is kick a field goal, go up by two scores, make LSU burn out their timeouts, right? You can even just take a knee three times and kick a field goal. Right, force them to use their timeouts, and then dare them to score ten points on two, like two scores in one minute. Yep. that's not happening. But what do they do? They pitch the ball, fumbles, ninety-nine yard drive for LSU. They score a touchdown on controversial, like the knee being down inbounds. They should have run the clock, but then Florida State called a timeout, which was weird. And then the blocked PAT. I that you cannot script it any better than that. That is why college football is better than the NFL, because crazy shiz like that happens. Chaos, baby. That's what we love. That is absolutely what we love. Now, we have reached a point in the episode where we give out our weekly awards. This is also kind of something new we're doing. Each week, we will give out special awards to special things that happened in college football, our chaotic love. Okay. Jared, what is your award for this week? So, my award is the Biggest Idiot Award. Oh. Yes. The Biggest Idiot Award, the first of our weekly awards for the Really Strong and True podcast, goes to Cam Rising! Woo-hoo! Yay! Cam Rising was such an idiot in this game. Oh my gosh. He threw multiple passes into the dirt, multiple passes into the cheerleaders on the sideline, and then when he goes down leading a game-winning drive, he has the ball second and goal at the four-yard line. And what does he do? He throws the first ball away. Good decision, right? No timeouts. You can't take a sack. You can't force the ball anywhere. So he throws it away. Beautiful. Now what does he do on second down? Rolls out to his left. Plenty of time. Plenty of time. Now he comes. Just kidding. It's not Grego Bell. It's not the last second. He's rolling out to his left. What does he do? He throws it away again, right? Field goal in his back pocket to tie the game. Send it to overtime where they're obviously probably going to win. No! He throws the ball into double coverage. What are you doing, Cam? You have a field goal in your back pocket. You have the game in your back pocket. And he forces a ball into double coverage. And it gets picked off and they lose the game. That bonkers! Biggest idiot award, Cam Rising. Now, I got a very prestigious award to give out at this time. It is the Real Football Award. Ooh, I like this. The Real Football Award goes to the University of Iowa, sorry, Iowa University, uh, goes to the, the the Hawkeyes. Let me tell you this. They scored seven points in their game. 
Okay. Did they win? What? What's they the won. Score? It was seven to three. Awesome. They won. They did not score a touchdown, however, in that entire game. <laughs> they got a field goal and two safeties. Three, two, two adds up to seven. They scored seven points without getting in the end zone the entire, without getting in the other team's end zone. They got the other team in their own end zone quite frequently, twice actually. So uh, the real football award goes to Iowa. And now that we're on the subject of Iowa, we got some. We're gonna tug some more nugs. Okay, let's tug some nugs. FBS opponent, sir. FBS teams win punting eight or more times in a game. Okay. Since 2020. Are forty five and one hundred seventy. Now I don't doubt that, right? Because punting eight times is literally twice per quarter, mm-hmm. at least. If you're punting twice per quarter, that means maybe you have like one or two possessions per half that you score on, mm-hmm. right? Unless you're a high paced team and you play a faster brand of football and you get more possessions, but still, twice a quarter is not good. No, that's a twenty one percent. They win twenty one percent of the time. So very, 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 very poor. Iowa, however, in that same stretch, six and one when punting eight or more times. Iowa loves punting the ball. It is part of their strategy. They will punt the ball all day long. They will punt it on third down. They will punt it on their opponent's 37, which they did last game on fourth and one. When they punt eight plus times, Iowa will win a whopping 86% of the time. As compared to what, 21% you said? Yep. 65% 65% swing. If that is not just like old school Big Ten football, I don't know what is. That is the philosophy of our big boy, Kirk. Kirk Ferentz? Kirk Ferentz. And his uh, nepotistic, uh, what is it, system where he promoted his son that has no coaching experience to be the OC. Pretty sick. Huh? I guess that's what you get, right? That's what you get. Yeah. Uh, anyway, that about wraps it up for us. Do you have any last parting thoughts before we end the episode? No, I'm just really excited for Baylor. Be looking out for the preview of the Baylor game that will be coming out on Friday. It's going to be a lot of fun. Make sure you're following us on Instagram and Twitter at Loyal2RoyalPod. I want to give a quick shout out to all those that have followed us on Twitter recently, bringing us up past, we're, I think we're at 19 followers now on Twitter, which is awesome. Instagram, we have you know quite a few more followers, but please share the memes that we're making with your friends, interact with the stuff that we're posting. It makes it a whole lot more fun, both for us And for you guys, make sure you're checking out our website as well, royalstrongandtrue.com. Awesome. Uh, I love college football. That's all I got to say. Thanks for joining us, guys. We love you. Goodbye now.